Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Who will Michigan State go to when they need a bucket? A.J. Hogard and Joey Hauser, of course. I kid around, but those were the two who connected on Wednesday night to give the Spartans a thrilling 71-69 win over Minnesota at the Breslin Center. The win moves Michigan State to 14-2 and 5-0 in the Big Ten. That's good enough for a first-place tie with Illinois. We will discuss the Spartans' latest game, the postponement versus Michigan, and give initial thoughts on the Spartans' 2022 football schedule on Episode 63 of MLive's Spartan Confidential Podcast. Brandon Champion, Kyle Lawson, and Matt Wenzel with you on Thursday, January 13th, 2022. Kyle, Matt, we've we've officially turned the page. It is basketball season. Uh, we had the drama with the rivalry game over the weekend. Had a, had a great night of action on Tuesday. Baylor and USC both going down. And, of course, the nail-biter win on Wednesday night for the Spartans. So, uh, Matt, how's it going? We're going to be hearing from you uh, more later in the show, but uh, you got a vacation on the schedule or something now that football season's in the rear view? Just so it's clear, this is not the off season. It's the out of season. So sorry. Remember, sorry, that, remember sorry. that terminology uh, correctly, the way Mel puts it. But no, it's always football season. There's always news. So uh, even if it's a schedule release at 10 o'clock on the morning on a Wednesday or at noon on a Wednesday on BTN as thrilling as that is for everybody. I'm sorry. I'm not familiar with this distinction. Well, why does Mel call it Mel- the off season? Out of season. There is no off season. It's the out of season. Oh, you never yeah. noticed? Oh, he that's yeah, that's a go to. Okay. Is uh, that like a, a grind doesn't stop thing or something like that? Yes. It's, yes. it's a keep chopping thing, obviously. <laughs> oh, Come on. Okay. Mel, Mel never stops chopping all throughout the year. I mean, I, I get it. I mean, when you're a football coach, like it is a year round sport. I mean, basketball is too at the D1 level. Like it's just, you know, like there's always something going on. So he's not wrong about that. But for, but for fans, it's, it's definitely the off season. I know, uh, you know, Josh Pate on CBS doesn't like the word off season either because, you know, it's not really. I mean, if football is a year round thing, so uh, we'll just say, yeah, uh, you know, not the playing season, whatever, but hopefully you get a, maybe it's a little more, uh, you know, relaxed for you, Matt, at least you don't have to be like traveling and going to games and stuff. So I, I have a vacation on the books for um, March. Um, right. And it's really sad when you're in your forties and you still have to plan vacation around college spring break schedules because of <laughs> spring practice. So that's, that's the reality of uh, every year. So um, welcome, always, welcome always to the life. Yeah. Welcome to the life of a beat reporter. That's for sure. Um, Kyle, what's up? You ready to, to shoulder the weight of the pod for a couple months here? Hoops has, has finally has the spotlight. Uh, yeah, I, I can do that. I got an unexpected uh, couple of days off the weekend. Would have rather been working because, uh, you, you know, reporters like going to those games just as much as fans do. But uh, yeah, ready to uh, ready to uh, fully dive into basketball. Feels like it's been a while. For sure. For sure. And I'm, I'm super pumped that, about basketball getting into full swing as well. Uh, so lots to get to on today's show on in both sports. Uh, if you could please like rate and review the podcast, wherever you're listening, check out our work at mlive.com slash Spartans. 
our our episodes are on apple Podcasts, spotify most places you're listening so you can check them out there and you can also get in touch with us on twitter email most of you know where to find us uh so yeah hit us up we appreciate everyone for listening uh, so Kyle, let's get into right into the game last night. Uh, obviously, a thrilling win for Michigan State. Uh, don't think they played their best, especially on defense, and we can kind of get into some of that. But uh, we might as well dive right into the end, the final play there. Uh, not sure that Tom drew it up. Uh, AJ Hogard dished to Joey Hauser, um, but it was nice to see everyone touch the ball, and and once again they got the job done. Yeah, and it's you know I, I think we've talked about this a lot. It's the team that that find ways to win. Uh, the play was called up for Gabe Brown, um, as you would expect the play to be called up for him. And I think Minnesota's Ben Johnson was also expecting the play to be called up for Gabe Brown because uh, they took him away. And and I thought Minnesota throughout the game did as good of a job of any opponent is is really slowing down Gabe Brown and making life difficult for him. So they did that throughout the game. They did it on the last play. Uh, they ended up kind of improvising, gets to Max Christie. Um, but I thought, you know, I credit to Joey Howard for making the shot, but I thought really the catalyst of that play was A.G. Hogarth, you know, finding a lane, really cutting Max Christie, finding him. Um, and he's just coming out with such a head of steam. He draws so much defense. Um, and then he has the vision to see Joey Howard wide open for that. So um, a really strong play from A.J. Hogard. Um, and, you know, team finds a way to win. Um, and we can talk a little bit more about the point guard situation, why he was the guy. Um, in there at the end making that play and not Tyson Walker but um, you know a, a deep team they've got a lot of different weapons and um, as you mentioned the top two ones you wouldn't quite expect winning a big 10 game in in mid-January but but that's the luxury of this team they've had Julius Marble come up big you know in, in close wins they've had Malik Hall come up close big in close wins a lot of guys that don't play a lot or come off the bench um, have showed that they can they can make plays down the stretch. Mm-hmm. It's been indicative of the team all year so far, uh, the way they've just sort of found ways to win with different guys getting involved in different moments. We might as well have the point guard conversation since A.J. Hogard was central to that final play. Um, I mean, Tyson Walker is the starting point guard. He's the guy you would expect to be in there. Uh, he had a you know the personal 7-0 run jolt that was big for Michigan State there and it's sort of halfway through the second half. Um, looked like he tweaked an ankle, but I thought Tom Izzo's comments after the game were, were really interesting and telling, and it seems like it was a – a purposeful choice to stick with Hogard. So, I mean, why don't you just kind of elaborate on that? Cause I thought Izzo's comments on that was interesting. Yeah. Um, and, and kind of went a lot of different ways with it. And, and I'm not sure I can give like a crystal clear reason why he set the final 1043. Um, but you know, right before he came out, uh, he had turnovers on three straight possessions. Um, uh, really three bad passes and they kind of got consecutively worse. There was one where he was trying to kick it out from the paint, um to Jay Nakins in the corner just didn't see a Minnesota defender gets deflected turnover the second one was a weird one right in front of Michigan State bench it was almost a dribble handoff but he tried to throw this little short pass to Max Christie but um kind of just threw it right into him and and deflected off of him one of the weirder kind of pass attempts you'll see and then it, it seemed like he was kind of you know on tilt at that point to, to use a poker term you know was, was a little bit frustrated so brings the ball up kind of tries to make a little too much happen and ends up trying to throw like an alley-oop to Marcus Bingham under the hoop, but he ends up hitting the rim uh, with his alley-oop attempt and it goes out of bounds. So, so at that point, he was just making bizarre plays. And um, he actually, it, it looked like live um, that he asked, like he pointed to the bench and said, take me out. Um, and Izzo confirmed afterwards that he did ask to come out. Um, so, um, you know, it, it's obviously not uncommon for a guy to make three straight turnovers and get pulled. 
Um, but usually, you know, you get a second chance, especially, you know, down the stretch in a close one possession game when you're the starting point guard. So not surprising to see him get pulled. I was surprising to see him surprised to see him sit. You know, I don't know if Israel thought he was really that out of sorts that he couldn't trust him again. Um, how much the ankle had to play with it. Um, and, you know, maybe the fact that he took himself out, you know, had something to do with it. That's not something players do very much. And if Israel just didn't think he was in the right mindset to go back in, you know, I thought Hogard was fine. Like uh, he didn't turn the ball. He took care of the ball. Give him credit for that. I don't think he was, um, it was like, you can't take him out. You know, it was more about not playing Tyson Walker. And, um, you know, it, it didn't sound like a huge deal afterwards. Israel made the point that, you know, he's still adjusting. He's still only five big 10 games in after up transferring from Northeastern. So um, a bad night. Um, it seemed like he was just kind of off and Michigan state wanted to go with a better option, but not often you see these starting point guards sit for the final 10 minutes of a back and forth close game, but you know, it worked out. I'm sure if they would have lost, um, it would be much more of a hair puller right now, but yeah, they won. So uh, it can be more of a learning moment. Yeah. And instead the Izzo kind of looks a little bit like a genius because AJ Hogarth makes the play to house right. it, but this quote, I mean, this is from Izzo in, in your story. I mean, some of these things, when you go from different levels, it's not as easy as everyone thinks, Izzo said. I think sometimes physically, sometimes mentally, and sometimes size, and sometimes different things. I did think he let that get to him. So, I mean, I, to me, that quote backs up. You're thinking that it was more of a mental thing than, a, than the physical ankle injury, whereas Walker just wasn't really in that, you know, killer mindset that he needed to be to operate at a high level in a Big Ten game down the stretch. And AJ Hogard, you know, he's he does have an extra year in the program more than Tyson Walker. So maybe he just felt better about him in that moment. It ends up working out. But that's kind of indicative of this team as a whole across the board on, on in the positions, Kyle, where you sort of have like this football, like too deep situation with the roster where like if one guy isn't playing great, the other guy can slide in. Uh, I mean, I don't know if they have like if it, it you can say that there's no like drop off when the second guy comes in, because I think it pretty there is a pretty clear like top five for Michigan State. But like, uh, I guess it's a luxury and a curse at times that you can have these guys that you can slide in there when they need to. But it was, you know, they get the win, they get it done. Uh, I thought, you know, offensively, Michigan State didn't play bad. They had some turnover issues still. You mentioned the ones with Walker there, but. They were getting buckets. They had the transition game working uh, at certain points in the game. I thought defensively was the biggest concern uh, in this game, and, and it sort of has been since Christmas, I would say. I mean, E.J. Stevens has a big game. Eric Curry has had back-to-back -back good games. Hopefully he's okay, by the way. Uh, Peyton Willis getting buckets. Battle got into it a little bit in the second half. Uh, rebounding was not so good. I believe they – okay, so they, out, they ended up out-rebounding them by one, but Minnesota was getting a lot of second-chance points in the game. A lot of times the ball would just bounce off the rim, and a Minnesota guy would be first to the ball mm -hmm. and sort of lay it up and in. And I guess this was like one of the first times – there was so many second-chance points, and this felt like a game where Michigan State was getting out-hustled at times. And, I mean, nobody likes to see that, but especially Tom Izzo doesn't like to see that. <laughs> no, and, you know, the, the Eric Curry thing, I mean, to me that's kind of partially by design. Michigan State in both of its games against Minnesota, to me, has said – we're going to focus on taking away the three point shooters um, and kind of let Eric Curry work. You know, he had a season high the first time they played there in Michigan state won pretty easily. So um, I think that part of it was by design. I think, I think the concerning thing was that they were focused on the perimeter and those guys didn't hit a lot of three pointers, but they were driving, they were getting into the lane um, and drawing fouls, getting pretty close to the hoop. And then, you know, when you get into the lane, um, you know, everything kind of collapses around you and you've got more rebounders around then. And I think that's part of the reason why they had so many offensive rebounds. And there were some 
there were some weird bounces, like you said. I, you know, Azo pointed out, I think they scored two or three times off of blocked shots. Like Michigan yeah. State would block their shot, they'd get it back and score. So some of it was just weird stuff. But but overall, I thought, you know, defending uh, the dribble drive was um, an issue last night. And, and some of that had to do with just their ball street defense. And Azo was pretty tough on their bigs. Um, of not defending those ball screens well and kind of allowing that penetration. So I think that will be uh, priority number one here as they go forward. But, you know, you're working on it after a win and you're working on it with a pretty manageable opponent uh, coming in uh, in Northwestern and then a pretty a five-day break after that. So nothing nothing terribly urgent, I would say. Yeah, Izzo went small ball because of those, those screens. I mean, Bingham mm-hmm. hardly played down the stretch as well. He was on the bench and that was purposeful – uh, because of, I believe he said he did, he said something like that. They were he was having trouble in the in the screens, right? And he felt like going yeah, small with Hauser yeah. playing center was better. It, yeah. So Bingham and Walker both sat the last ten minutes. We haven't talked about Bingham because that was just a matchup issue, you know. Um, right. He wasn't guarding the post super well one on one, but there's more of like they wanted to switch those ball screens to get a little wonky. Um, and a guy like um, they wanted Malik Hall in those switches because he can guard a smaller guy better than than uh, Marcus Bingham had. So that, you know, I mean Marcus Bingham didn't have a great game, but that was more just a matchup issue. And, and Minnesota's smaller than most Big Ten teams, so that's not going to happen very often. Decent game overall, I'd say, for Hall and Hauser. I mean, I had tweeted that Michigan, Malik Hall had nothing late into the second <laughs> I mean, into the second half. He was doing nothing, and I had tweeted, you know, Michigan State has to get something out of Malik Hall, and I believe that uh, for the rest of the season as well, that he needs to be more of a consistent scoring threat. He cannot have these games where, I mean, he's an upperclassman captain at this point. He can't have these games where he just disappears. He has to be a consistent contributor for them because we saw – when he took over the game there for a little bit in crunch time, he can get buckets in so many different ways. You know, he, he does the little whirlpool there for a second. He knocks down another three. I think he's shooting like 59% from three or something like that uh, this year. I mean, he hasn't taken a ton, but like, I just think they need more out of Malik Hall. And then obviously good for Joey Hauser to, to get that bucket. I mean, he's been much maligned this year, been playing much better of late. So, and you could tell, you know, his teammates just tweeting out Joey Hauser last night. I saw three or four of them do mm. it. Uh, you know, they see that the criticism he's been getting and you could tell that they were happy for him to have that moment. Yeah. I, I'm kind of conflicted on the Malik Hall thing because, you know, on the one hand, yes, he's a veteran. He's proven he can score. He's had big games. He's had these big stretches. So yeah, I, there are ways, reasons you think, yeah, he should be more consistent scorer. But at the same time, like he's coming off the bench, you know, they won't start him. Even when he was out playing Joey Hauser, you know, they still kept him coming off the bench. Um, And he's just very rarely like your go-to guy. Like you're not calling up a lot of plays for, for Malik Hall. So I, I feel like, I don't know, like Michigan State is really just not featuring him in his in their offense um, all that much because mm-hmm. they're, they're featuring Gabe Brown and they're featuring Max Christie and they're um, pounding the post and trying to go to Marcus Bingham. So I, I feel like um, he, he's getting what he can and you can certainly ask for more consistency. But, um, you know, until they really want to make him a featured guy like they have some other guys, I'm not sure how much more we can really ask for him on a consistent basis, if that makes sense. No, that's fair. I mean, most of his buckets come from when, when it's either late in the shot clock yeah. or they've run their, run through their set and nothing's there. So they just give it to Malik Hall and he does a little couple spins, little couple pump fakes and gets to the bucket and gets a shot off. And he, he makes them a lot of the time, but he is definitely one of those guys that's been creating his own offense. So maybe part of it is on the staff to, to maybe – uh, get him the ball and draw some things up for him. And maybe then he can get in the flow of the game better. But uh, he did enough last night in that stretch. He he did sort of take over similar to how Tyson Walker did in that seven Oh stretch. Uh, I mean, it's just part of this team's makeup, I guess that got certain di- getting contributions from different guys at different points in the game. 
um, and they continue to get wins. And, and uh, you know, despite their flaws right now, they're sitting at the top of the conference. So uh, did you end up getting uh, did you uh, give Roy Williams a fist bump last night or didn't have the opportunity to, to do that? Uh, were I you did. able to pick him out? Uh, yes, the, the Carolina blue helped them stick out. Uh, Gabe Brown actually got a Roy Williams fist pump in the middle of a play. Um, oh, so, nice. I, so that, uh, I'm sure that helped him, but, uh, no, he was sitting right by press row. I was going to ask if he wanted to write my game story for me, but, um, I'm not sure he would have been down for that, but Roy seemed to enjoy himself. So that was fun. Yeah. He is living his best life right now. In <laughs> he was at Allen Fieldhouse a couple nights ago, got to see a, a game come down to the wire, comes to the Breslin, gets to see one come down to the wire. I think BTN said he's going to go see Bob Huggins at West Virginia next. So, uh, man, talk about living the life, just traveling around the country, getting courtside seats at some of the best venues in the country. I'll sign up for that for sure. Good, good so. work if you can get it. Yeah, for sure. Um, so let's expand a big picture for the basketball team. Um, I don't know about you, Kyle, but I, I'm starting to have a hard time like figuring out how good MSU is when you look at them in the national landscape. Uh, I mean, they're ranked top 10 in the Associated Press. They're 21 in Ken Palm. It's, it's hard to say because like they've obviously taken care of business against the teams that they're supposed to beat for the most part. They've lost to the two best teams that they've played pretty handedly. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm finding it hard to get a read because they haven't really played like this start of this Big Ten schedule with the Michigan game getting postponed is um it's it's been pretty easy i mean let's just face it you're not these are traditionally some of the worst programs in the big 10 you're playing right off the jump here uh they haven't played any of the power so it's hard to say how good michigan state is i i maintain they're a good not great team but i don't know like it's going to be interesting to see them once they get to march and they start matching up with some of these other teams the more i've watched them the more i think that this streak is really more about the schedule than Michigan State playing well and and maybe they'll surprise me and prove me wrong but you know um losing a halftime to Northwestern um you know trailing late against Minnesota coming back heck they were losing halftime against High Point um and, and they're winning these games and give them credit for that but um like I thought they looked better in like early January like the, the Minnesota Penn State stretch I thought they were playing better than um, you know, a, a couple games, um, you know, that Louisville game, I thought they played better. So, um, you know, they're, they're just kind of treading water. It seems like a little bit, you know, if you look at their computer numbers, they're, they're, you know, AP, AP voters like, uh, like records in Michigan state has a very good one at 14 and two. But if you look at the computer numbers, you mentioned Ken Palm 21, that's actually down a couple spots over the last month when they've been six and or whatever, um, our, our, NCAA net rankings, they're exactly the same. So the computers don't think they're any better despite all these wins, um, which isn't their fault. Um, but I'm like you, I'm very curious to see how they're going to stack up um, against the better teams in the Big Ten. Um, you know, they've got, we're going to find out, it's going to take another week and a half because you got Northwestern at home, should win that one. Um, and then you go at Wisconsin, at Illinois, Friday, Tuesday, um, following that. And to me, that's when we'll mm -hmm. really find out that they haven't played um, like a difficult game on the road. You know, Butler um, is down this year. Um, and then Minnesota is the only Big Ten. So they really haven't played a, a tough Big Ten road environment. They'll get two in a row in a span of, what, five days there. Um, mm -hmm. and, I'm, I'm, and I'm really curious because, you know, I think Kansas and Baylor showed us that at least in November, they were a step below the elite. Um, ha have they taken a step? Are they ready to compete with teams like that? You know, and, and you know, I don't think Wisconsin is as good as Baylor for the record, but you know, that's a, that's a good big 10 team. Illinois, I think is really come around. That's going to be a really tough test. And then, 
Um, and then you're going to be playing good teams regularly. So I, um, I, I'm not quite as high on this nine game winning streak as a lot of teams are. And, and Tom Izzo, to his credit, is saying the same things. You know, this win streak, it's, it's great. You know, we're winning games like we're supposed to. But I think this is more about who they're playing than how good they are right now. I'm wondering if the Big Ten is is as good as it has been, too. Uh, I mean, I don't think it is either. I mean, obviously, Michigan's been a big disappointment, but Maryland lost their coach. They've completely fallen off a cliff. Indiana's lost some suspect games. Um, so, I mean, and Wisconsin was a team that people thought had no chance at making the the NCAA tournament this year. And then suddenly Johnny Davis is the best player in the country. So, uh, I mean, I, I don't I think the Big Ten might be more top heavy than usual, uh, whereas the last couple of years you've really had you know, eight, nine teams that have been pretty solid depth wise and a lot of cannibalizing. And I just don't know going to go on as much this year. I mean, we're still early in the big 10 schedule. So, um, you know, maybe it's a little early to be saying this, but it seems like you have a very clear top four at the moment. And then it's just sort of like maybe a couple other teams that like Michigan that could get it together and rise up. But I think the bottom, I don't think the bottom is very impressive at all. So, so your top four, um, you talk about Illinois, Michigan state, Purdue, and Ohio, Ohio state. state. Yeah. I mean, I think Wisconsin's pretty good too. Um, I don't think they're far behind that group. Um, so okay, I, yeah. So maybe five, so maybe, maybe five, maybe five give- but yeah, I'll, I'll give you a drop off after that. Um, pretty significantly, but yeah, it's, it's, it's been weird. Like I thought Minnesota would be the worst team in the big 10. Um, and they're, mm-hmm. you know, they almost beat Indiana, almost beat Michigan state back to back on the road. Um, they're competing. I think they got a good coach night, in, night out. Yeah, I do. I think he's a good coach. Um, um, and then, you know, um, Iowa, you know, one and three in the big 10, but like, they're going to beat some teams. I didn't think they'd be any good either. So, um, but then other teams I thought would be better, um, aren't as good. So yeah, it, I mean, I guess this happens every year. Some teams are better, some teams are not, but it seems like it's maybe a little more, more drastic, you know, and Michigan should be at the top of that list, honestly, because, you know, they haven't played in a while and maybe they'll turn it around, but they've been the most surprisingly disappointing team in the big 10 in America. I mean, it's safe to say, I mean, in Memphis is, you could have put Memphis there. They've sort of come around a little bit in the last couple of days. Uh, they also play in the American athletic conference. So, uh, that will happen, but, uh, I digress. Uh, speaking of Michigan, uh, we didn't really talk about the postponed game. I didn't think we really needed to have a very long conversation about it. Cause it's several days old here, but word from Michigan is that they're going to try and reschedule this game from a Michigan state standpoint. I I don't think it's fair that you if you inconvenience Michigan State to have them be playing like a game and then a day off and then a game or something like I look at the schedule where are you going to fit this in that's what I'm very curious about because Michigan State really does not need this game like it needed last year you know like going down the stretch they wanted to play every game they could because they were trying to make an NCAA tournament these were quad one games and you need the opportunities now it's like you know, do you do you run your guys ragged for a week when you're already in the, in the NCAA tournament and you don't need it um, and squeeze in a game at the end? You know, I, I'm not sure. You know, time has remained clear he doesn't get a choice. But, um, man, like if they really try to shoehorn that in there, I wonder if you're Michigan State and you say, hey, you know, we're we're good. You know, we showed, you know, the Big Ten showed last year they're willing to let teams not play every game in a season. Um, if they can't fit them all in, but, you know, on the other hand, you know, it looks like Michigan might need those games going out. So it's, it's going to be, it's looking like a potential role reversal, but if you're Michigan state, you're not the team that had COVID, the game was not postponed because of you. It's not your home game. Um, you have another game against Michigan. It's not like you're wiping out the whole rivalry. Um, I, as I sit here today, 
again, yeah, and like you said, looking at the schedule, there's not a lot of easy ways to put it, a lot of places to put it in there. I, I don't see a ton of reasons to want to play this game. Um, so as crazy as it sounds, I mean, I'd like to see it happen, but you know, if I'm Tom Izzo, um, I'm not, uh, I'm not too keen on, um, on making that happen, honestly. Absolutely not. I mean, if you're not just gonna, I mean, you were there, you were ready to play at Ann Arbor, like the schedule said, but I mean, they weren't ready to go, not their fault, but, um, I mean, they also lost a game against Purdue if you're Michigan. And those are two marquee games that you want to have on the schedule if, from a Wolverine standpoint, because it's two opportunities to get a big win. Uh, right now you need a win, but, uh, yeah, from Michigan state standpoint, I think what you just said makes a lot of sense, Kyle. So, uh, anything else on basketball for now? Uh, you mentioned the schedule next week. Uh, or Saturday, they're Northwestern at home. And then uh, you got Friday, a Friday game at Wisconsin next Friday. So um, some, some tougher games coming up for the Spartans. But anything else on hoops? No, not really. I mean, they'll get, the, you know, that Wisconsin game not till Friday. So they'll get another little break. Um, and, you know, that's, I mean, I almost look at it like this is kind of the warm up. Michigan State, this has been the softest schedule opening that I can remember. You know, they're 13th mm-hmm. out of 14th in conference strength schedule right now. And they'll be 14th after Friday because Michigan's 14th right now. And then they're playing Illinois. Um, so as soft as you can imagine as far as, and that's not their fault, but it's almost like this is the warm up, And then after that, you're playing pretty good teams pretty regularly. And I think we're going to find out what this team's really about. Yeah. I mean, I guess you look at, uh, <laughs> I was going to say, you know, early next week is where you could play the Michigan game, but Michigan already has a game. So right. <laughs> there's, uh, that's not going to work. All right, let's move on to, to football here. Let's get Matt uh, uh, involved in the conversation. Uh, have had quite a bit of news, I would say, since the last uh, pod, Matt. Um, and we can we're going to we also had a schedule release, which we'll get to at the end here. But, um, you know, Matt, you can run down the news items. But I think, uh, you know, the receiver news, I think, is where we're, we're going to want to talk about the most. Obviously, Jaden Reed returns and they also picked up a, a surprise uh, commit in the receiver position. Yeah, I mean, I think last podcast we were talking about Reed would probably announce his decision as soon as we got done. And it was to, to our credit, it was a couple <laughs> hours, you know, it was. <laughs> It was five something at night. So uh, maybe, maybe that phantom tweet from Michigan state football about him uh, maybe returning was, was accurate, but now um, obviously huge, uh, huge news for Michigan state. And I don't think we need to spend too much time on it because it's a week old, but um, when you get your leading receiver, you know, a veteran, um, a guy that is looked at as a leader on that team um, to return when I would have, you know, like I said, the last time I thought he would leave just because, you know, you're, four years in college, you know, he went to, he he transferred from Western to Michigan state to prove he competed at a higher level. He's shown he can do that. Um, But yeah, him coming back is obviously huge for Michigan state with, especially with Naylor uh, leaving. So you, you get Reed back. Mosley should be another starter and maybe Montori Foster, maybe Keon Coleman takes a, you know, a step after being a true freshman, Christian Fitzpatrick, Terry Lockett, or or some of the new guys, but either way you get your top, uh, top playmaker back uh, in the passing game. Uh, outside of Peyton Thorne, and uh, yeah, that's obviously huge. Uh, and then uh, uh, David Henderson's returning, which is a reversal from what he said in July. Um, he had said, that, well, you know, he planned on this being his last season. He planned on being in the NFL. Uh, he softened his stance towards the end of the season, uh, which coincided with a rough November for Michigan State secondary. So, again, another huge addition. You get a guy who has played every single game for the last four years back. He was a game captain every single game this year, which uh, – by my math makes him a season captain. And so, yeah, Xavier, we, we like Xavier because he uh, shows the ability. He, he's not afraid to say what is what's on his mind in case uh, you 
guys haven't really noticed that, especially after the Michigan game. Um, <laughs> Glorious. But, uh, but uh, uh, Ronald Williams will be back. Jared Horst will be back. Those two, I mean, I, I don't know. Those were – I wasn't expecting Ronald Williams to leave. Technically, you know, he's, he's more than draft eligible as far as his age and, and, you know, years out of high school. But, you know, just one season at Michigan State, we know what the, you know, the deal was with the second year this year. But either way, he's a starter. He'll be back. Horst will be back. Um, he missed the last five games, um, but was with the team in Atlanta. So starting left tackle back, that's obviously big news. Um, so yeah, those are the guys that are back. Um, then, um, Jeremy Bernard, a 2022 four-star receiver from outside of Vegas, um, committed (laughs) to Michigan state. What was that Saturday? I think it was Sunday, Sunday. It was, um, He's already enrolled. This is a weird situation because he, all right, so he signed with Washington in December after Jimmy Lake was fired as head coach. He still signed, but then his position coach left for a job at Oregon. So um, he announced his decommitment. Uh, there was a report from 24-7 Sports prior to that that he was being released from his national letter of intent, which was obviously appears to be the case. So, um, yeah, he announced his commitment on, on Sunday. He's already listed in the online student directory. Michigan State has not made this official. This, you know, technically, so the, the early signing period was, was in December. It was the 15th through the 17th, if I remember right. It's three days. The next period isn't until early February. There might be some obscure NCAA rule that I'm not aware of regarding being released, signing a national letter of intent and getting through the clearinghouse and then being released from it, and whatever. Either way, Michigan State hasn't made it official, but he's a student there. And the ties are to... Keaton Hauser, the quarterback who just signed with Michigan State, um, they were teammates at the same high school in, in Nevada before Caton uh, transferred to St. John Bosco in California for his last two years. So um, your quarterback's doing a little more recruiting for you. I think we know this how this works before with the uh, Thorne Reed situation. Um, but yeah, I mean, a big addition. Uh, you get another four-star kid in the class. And um, yeah, I mean, that's I think that pushed Michigan State up to 17th in the rankings in 24-7 sports. So top 20 class with uh, February still to come. Who knows? They might add a couple more guys, but we'll wait till we actually hear when uh, Bernard is official. But it certainly appears to be the case. Yeah. I mean, and Jaden Reed, 59 catches, 1,026 yards, 10 touchdowns last year. You would expect those numbers to go up as he is the focal point of the offense next year with no Kenneth Walker. Uh, that's a huge, huge get to have a true number one alpha uh, in your, in your wide receiver room that suddenly is just chock full of talent. When you consider the freshmen they're bringing in as well as some of the guys that were already there, you said Trey Mosley expected to take a step. So, um, Michigan's Michigan state, you know, always seems to have capable receivers, but the room looks especially good next year. A lot will be expected of Jaden Reed preseason next year. And then Jeremy Bernard, you mentioned top two twenty kid, uh, four-star, uh, late, late change from, from Washington. And, uh, interesting enough, Michigan State making a trip to Washington next year, and then Washington will be in East Lansing in 2023. So uh, it could be an interesting situation for Jeremy Bernard if he's on the field. Probably not next year, but but maybe that 2023 game uh, might be a little bit of an interesting situation, but that's further down the road. So um, well, we got coaching too, right? Um, Jalen Naylor back in the day was originally committed to Arizona State. Then their coach mm. got fired then Michigan State lost transfers at receiver. Then he signed with Michigan State. That's what brought him there. And then they played Arizona State the next two years. Okay. All Good right. times. <laughs> Can we schedule like a home and home with Alabama and then get some of their receivers after those games or right before? Yeah, that they, would... they tried that once. It didn't work out. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, true. 
True. That's a good point, Kyle. Um, maybe just schedule all non-Power 5 teams and have them all at home like some programs like to do. Uh, but uh, <laughs> no, uh, we got coaching news too, right? Yeah, so uh, Ephraim Reed is the new running back running backs coach that was made official today. This is something that has clearly been in the works for, for weeks. Um, interesting situation. Um, so he, he's spent the last two seasons as an offensive analyst for, for Mel. Um, December 7th, I believe it was, he got hired as Georgia Southern's new running backs coach. Then Michigan State running backs coach William Peeler takes the tight ends job at Florida on Christmas Eve. And a few days later, there are national reports that that um, Mel was working to hire Ephraim for the running backs coach position um, and asked him about it. That was the day before the Peach Bowl, I think it was. And he just said, you know, we're still working through the process. But, yeah, it's official today. So, um, you know, found the guy that he, he clearly likes, thinks, a, you know, an up-and-comer, young guy. You know, he played at Louisiana from 12 to 15 when Jay Johnson was on staff there. Uh, Louisiana native, which is a theme with uh, in the direction Mel's going with both players and staff. Um, so yeah, uh, I think as you know, looks like a good hire. Guy who knows the, the guy who they Mel already knows, but has a good feel for, and, and has obviously already established a relationship with the players. And then um, there are reports that uh, there were reports last night that Mel is um, working to hire Brandon Jordan, right? And I, am I forgetting yep. the name? Brandon oh, Jordan, right. yeah. For a second, I almost thought it was. So there were a couple of reports last night that, that he was going to hire him as the defensive ends coach and pass rush specialist. Um, this is a little out of the box move because he's, I mean, he has worked on staff before at a lower level, but he's a well, uh, well regarded, well known uh, personal uh, private trainer. So he's worked with some of the best you know, edge rushers in the NFL. Um, he's also worked with some offensive line guys, but yeah, I mean, that's a, that's an interesting direction to go. Assuming that is the case. There's, there's nothing official obviously yet. Um, but you know, that's, it would be a change from a staff because that would essentially fill the opening from um, Travis Tillman taking the job at, at Georgia tech. So now you go from having two coaches in the secondary to two coaches on the defensive line, you know, because Ron Burton would, is still the defensive line coach barring some sort of unexpected change there. And I think we know what um, uh, Harlan Barnett's experience is work running a secondary. That's obviously where Mel's background is. So, uh, you know, I don't think that's a huge surprise for him to turn the focus a little differently on his staff than, than it was the last two years at Michigan State where he had two different secondary coaches with Barnett and um, Mike Tressel in, in 20 and then Barnett and Tillman this year. According to Brandon Jordan, he's worked with 195 NFL defensive ends. That's 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 impressive. To I mean, he's obviously a well-respected guy. I'm not going to pretend like I know anything about the guy. Or uh, you know, I, I saw Michigan State fans were fired up, but I feel like they're fired up about everything Mel does these days. But by all accounts, yes. a guy who has some some pedigree, at least in terms of working with with successful guys. So uh, out of the box hire for sure, because he he doesn't really. He's just kind of like a private uh, skills development guy, but um seems like someone who at least has connections within the within the football world so yeah I mean he obviously has experience working with talent um and it's it's an interesting situation he's stepping into because you know Michigan State is losing their three veteran guys at the position losing their starters um Jacob Panashuk and Drew Beasley uh Drew Jordan was the grad transfer from from Duke he's also done so 
you've got some, you've got some guys you've got to develop there. I think there's, there's some talent. Um, there's some younger guys that have been contributing. They also brought in Chris Bogle transfer from Florida. Um, we should probably contribute immediately if not be a starter. So uh, be interesting to see how the, uh, the progress they can make. And, and they were what third in the nation in sacks this year. I know a lot of people were complaining the pass rush wasn't there when they needed it, but you know, they faced a lot of teams that just got rid of the ball really quickly. The Western Kentucky's the, um, the Purdue's, but um, the sacks were almost double or whatever it was from last year. It was up um, top five, but uh, we'll see what they can do this season. I don't mean to throw you a curveball, but I, I, I did talking about the D line made me think of um, a question I've been getting from a lot of people. And, how do you think Jalen Hunt's season went this year? Because I remember we talked about him a lot preseason, you know, getting Raquan Williams number and whatnot. And we thought he was a guy that could take a pretty big step, but I, I don't think his season really went how we thought, thought it would. Maybe that happens next year, but. It, it didn't obviously. Um, but I think there was an, in, there's injury thing there. It was the Northwestern game, the opener. He started that game. But he suffered what appeared to be like a foot injury because I remember, you know, what at some point in the game, spotting him on the sideline, walking around without, um, you know, with I was right or his left foot, one of his feet <laughs> with no shoe on, and I that doesn't strike me as just a personal comfort choice to be doing during a football game to not have a shoe on, be walking around barefoot. So I think he had an injury there, and yeah, he just. You thought he would probably be a starter. You thought he'd be a major contributor. And I, I think he was just more or less held back by injury. At least that would be the appearance. But they had great defensive tackle play this year, too, for the most part. Jacob Slade was was good again. Samian Barrow had a surprise. You know, that was the surprise that Barrow, who didn't mm-hmm. even play last year, had, you know, he was a starter. He was breakout breakout year for, for him. He was really good. Um, but you saw flashes of that in the spring game, thinking, all right, there's, there's something here. And, and he definitely carried that over. So, they remain strong at defensive tackle. Um, you got Barrow, Slade, Hunt, Deshaun Mallory, and Maverick Hansen, and, and you can kind of go from there. Mm-hmm. And we just yeah. brought in the highest-ranked guy in your 2022 signing classes, Alex Van Summer, who's a defensive tackle. For sure, for sure. And Jalen Hunt still has time to develop. He's still a young player. But if you went back and listened to our, you know, preseason position previews, you know, we, I don't know how much we talked about Simeon Barrow or Cal Halliday to just show you, like, how – how unexpected a lot of this season was for Michigan State uh, and the personnel. I don't even know if we mentioned Cal Halliday's name, maybe in passing as a depth guy. Well, that was, it was, that was crazy. He was one of those guys when when the the meet the Spartans open practice, when you saw Halliday and Crouch and you're thinking, okay, they're just, they're mixing around that, you know, with pairings and nah, that won't be, and nope, he was the starter. And I think it was at Northwestern after the opener sometime around there that, uh, Xavier was like, yeah, I thought you guys would be surprised by that. <laughs> we, you know, we knew that we knew most people didn't project how to be a, to be a starter, but so I did, I do these t- 10, these preseason predictions every year. And one of them, well, at the very end, it's like breakout offensive player, breakout defensive player. I had picked Ronald Williams going in and I think coming out, it was Halliday. Uh, I think you can make a case for Barrow. You can make a case for Petrowski. You can make a case for Darius Snow, but what do you guys think? I I, I, I would agree with Cal Haller. I mean, it was freshman All-America, right? <laughs> like, it's hard to argue with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, same, same thing. <laughs> All right, just yeah. want to make sure I wasn't crazy. No, no, you're you're dead on with that, man. I mean, he's starting middle linebacker as a freshman. So, I mean, that's pretty impressive stuff when he pretty much came out of nowhere. So, um, yeah, I think that pretty much does it for the personnel news for now. Uh, let's move to – let's end the show here with uh, – we do get the 2022 schedule. Uh, release the revised Michigan State schedule. 
Uh, it's got home games against Western Michigan and Akron to start the year. Then Michigan State will travel to Seattle to play Washington, as I just mentioned. Uh, home games against Minnesota uh, on September 24th and at Maryland. Home versus Ohio State. Home versus Wisconsin. You got to buy before they're at Michigan on October 29th. At Illinois on November 5th. Home games versus Rutgers in Indiana in November. And at Penn State to close the year, the land-grant trophy finally moved again to its rightful place in Rivalry Week at the end of the season. Um, so, guys, I mean, we're going to have plenty of time to, to break down the schedule and talk about it as the season gets closer. Uh, I mean, I don't know if you want to give a, a prediction now, but a quick brief look right now. I'm saying nine and three losses to Ohio State, Wisconsin, and at Penn State. But, uh, you know, who knows? This last year we were like – this last year we were like, oh, seven and five, eight and four, probably the high watermark, and they go eleven and two. So, uh, I mean, I know <coughs> predicting schedules is not your favorite thing to do because so much can change week to week. But uh, I wouldn't call it an easy schedule with the crossover games from the West with Wisconsin and Minnesota in there, but you do get Illinois. Yeah, I mean, I I was more surprised that there were that many changes to the schedule. You knew the locations for Michigan and Indiana were going to flip. Um, but I didn't think that, I mean, every of the, you know, obviously the non-conference games remain unchanged, but every week of the Big Ten schedule minus November 12th against Rutgers, every single week is either a different location or a different opponent than was on the previous schedule. So uh, that was a little bit of a surprise. But other than that, I mean, it's fair. Uh, you know, you instead of opening with Ohio State and it's your first Big Ten game a week after going to the West Coast, you get Minnesota, which you know, that's not a, you know, an easy game, not a gimme by any means. They're nine and four this season, but still it's not Ohio state. So that's a little easier, but uh, you know, November or October is tough. Uh, that's when Ohio state, you get Maryland at Maryland, Ohio state at home, Wisconsin at home bye, and then you go to Michigan. So that'll tell you where you're at. And then, you know, it's a manageable, I mean, November is a manageable Illinois at Illinois against Rutgers at it or a home against Indiana and at Penn state for, the ugliest in land grant trophy. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if this year, November was kind of the time we were going to learn about this team and how they were going to handle it. October's it this year. Holy cow. That is quite the, the three game stretch specifically uh, against three of the best programs in the big 10 there. So at least I get two of them at home. If you're a Spartan fan, that's, that's obviously a plus uh, if you're looking at it from that way. So um, it's nice to have a schedule set now. Uh, hopefully there's no more changes. We don't need a repeat of 2020 when we had like, Big Ten schedule 1.0, 2.0. Did we even get a 3.0 in there? I don't there even were, remember. There ended up being three. <laughs> there was the original schedule. Then they they canned the non-conference games and went to 10. And then like eight seconds later, they canned the season. <laughs> then, then when they brought it back, then they, they had the 8 plus 1 schedule where you're, oh, man, what did they call that last one? Do you guys even remember? Champions oh, Week yeah. or whatever the yeah, hell they yeah, called yeah, it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. God, yeah, that was a yeah, that, <laughs> that was fun times. I think I felt like I spent way too many hours sitting around on a weekday morning or afternoon watching BTN and, and yelling at the TV why they aren't doing this faster. I think the first ever episode we've done sixty three of these now. I think our first ever episode was talking about the Big Ten canceling football for the season. Oh, so, that was fitting. Uh, that's that's fun. So uh, I think that'll do it. Anything else uh, that we're missing here, guys, or should we get out of here? No, I'm good. 
All right, cool. Well, I appreciate everyone for listening. Like I said, if you could please like, rate, and review the podcast, uh, check out our work at MLive.com. You can hit us up with questions or concerns. Uh, but yeah, we appreciate everyone for listening. We appreciate the feedback. I uh, see so we get we continue to get some reviews in there trickling in. So I appreciate that. That really helps us out. Um, but yeah, that's going to do it for today's episode. So for Kyle Austin and Matt Wenzel, I'm Brandon Champion. Thank you once again for listening to MLive Spartan Confidential Podcast. We'll talk to you next time. Go Green!